The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a special guest with me, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick, also known as Dr. Liz. She is a licensed professional counselor and has a doctorate degree in psychology. She provides an integrated approach to treatment with her virtual and in-person clients, as well as on social media, where she shares tangible tips that you can use right away to start improving relationships with yourself and others. On today's episode, Dr. Liz gives her best tips on how to improve communication and boundaries so that we feel more seen and heard by our loved ones. Liz, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. I think this conversation is so needed and it's going to allow people to feel, I think, a little bit of relief knowing that they have a plan to communicate with others so that they can feel better. So I'm excited to dive into that. Before we do, do you mind if I ask you a question from my interview deck? Let's do it. (laughs) I'm always so intrigued to see what's going to come up. (laughs) Okay. Your question is, Would you rather have a cool boss and learn nothing or a strict boss who you learn from? Oh, that's so easy. The strict one all day long. (laughs) It's all about growth. It's all about learning and developing. And so, yeah, I actually probably would respect a strict boss a lot more as well. So that's an easy answer. Nice. I like that. I agree with that. I've had both and it's the worst to feel like you're not learning anything because then you're not also growing. Right. Yeah. Right. I agree. And that the cool boss thing, I mean, that's just like children, just like healthy relationships, like that can only get you so far when there's not the containment, the limitations, structure, boundaries, which all the things we're going to talk about. So I think that's yeah. important in all relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually had a really unique experience recently where I was talking to one of my clients and she was in a place where I think she was just mentally exhausted. Like there's so much to think about, even if you don't have MS, but add MS on top of it. And we were talking about what brings her joy. And I asked her, you know, what makes you happy? Like maybe if you focus on doing more of those things, you can start feeling better in your day-to-day life and communicating that with others. And she said to me, I don't know. I don't know what brings me joy. It's been so long since I've experienced anything like that, that she literally couldn't give me an answer. So I guess maybe a good place to start this conversation is how do we become in tune with ourselves enough to know what we need, to know what conversations we need to have and what we need to do to feel better? 
Yeah. And that's such, you know, a common and very relatable experience that you just described of, especially so whether it's with medical issues or mental health issues or the hustle culture that we live in, a lot of us don't know what self-care feels like and self-care beyond exercising and eating right, but self-care of things that really bring us joy and pleasure. And we often don't make time for that. And I don't think that our society really promotes. I think we talk a lot about it, but I don't think we actually promote it. And so when I'm with clients who say that same type of thing, my suggestion to them is start experimenting. Think back to like when you were a child or maybe during more carefree season of your life and think about the things that you did. And while in this moment, that might not sound exciting, we have to keep in mind the brain chemistry that's going on. You're probably not producing a whole lot of dopamine and serotonin right now if you're in a threat state, so to speak, if you're in a hard time of your life. And so go try it, see what it feels like, and really start experimenting to see what brings you joy and brings you pleasure. Because if we're not doing those things, I mean, it really starts to feel like what's the point. Right. So how long should we stick with something that we assume brings us joy or used to bring us joy before we should start to expect actually feeling better in that dopamine and all those good endorphins? I wouldn't even suggest sticking to it. I would say, try it. If you don't like it, move on to the next, like really start to see what sticks. So if those things that you used to do aren't doing it for you anymore, then start Googling some things, start researching, asking friends. Often though, what I've come to find with a lot of my clients, and obviously we work with very different situations, very different ailments, but a lot of my clients, it comes down to isolation is often the biggest issue that's going on. So if they could find a good friend to talk with or somebody to laugh with, somebody to watch a show with, it often doesn't even matter what they're doing. That connection is what goes the furthest. And so that's usually where I start is like, okay, start experimenting, see what you like, but find somebody to do it with you and find somebody that brings you joy, you know, and then you can add on the something. Yeah. I like that. I think, I mean, I have a twin sister and so I've been fortunate enough throughout most of my life to always have someone to do things with, or like, we'll at least go to the same place together. And it's been huge to, I mean, it's nice to also have that independence, but it's really fun to have someone like a go-to person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're a safe person. And, and really what it boils down to is the interdependence that we need in our relationships where, yes, like you're saying, we can go do our own things and we can enjoy some independence, but also we enjoy connection and it's important. Humans are wired for connection. And so we have to have the balance of both. And that is what really creates the most health and fulfilling experiences for us as humans. Yeah. And I feel like getting to that level of connection also requires something that you talk about all the time, which is good communication. Yes. And with MS, there's so many different layers of what you might be feeling as the person with MS that your spouse or significant other might not understand what it feels like. And I have a lot of clients where that just stops communication because they try to say something, it's not received well, and it doesn't go anywhere. So they just kind of bottle it all up. So what would be a good starting point to get to connection and that communication? A great starting point is to identify what that other person does that leads to feelings 
of being dismissed, of it being minimized, of being kind of shut down. A lot of times we see this show up as somebody tries to fix it. Somebody tries to give advice. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? That is not what we need in those moments. Or sometimes they don't know what to say at at all. And so they don't say anything, which can feel just as yucky as them trying to give advice. The hard part is, and where I really have empathy for the person on the other end, is that we weren't taught these skills in upbringing. A lot of us were not. A lot of us were not raised in environments that taught these skills. But beyond that, we weren't taught these skills like in school or in places where there would have been a lot of value for that. And so people often just, they don't know what to do. And their attempts are, they're just doing the best they can with what they think is the right thing. And unfortunately that can fall flat. And then the person who is trying to share how they're feeling feels rejected. They feel dismissed, minimized, And then that is where the disconnection starts because, well, when I bring you something, if it's not received with safety, then I'm not going to bring you anything anymore. And so slowly but surely that chasm starts to develop and it's, it's hard to come back and create reconnection. So that is kind of the concern there. So what the skills that I often suggest people start with are reflection and validation. So reflection is you are saying back, even you could call it mirroring. So there's some therapeutic approaches that actually use mirroring. So you are repeating back what the other person said. Others suggest using reflection where you are saying it back, but in your own words. So it doesn't feel so robotic. There is research to support both approaches. I suggest people just kind of practice and see what feels best to you. Either way, you're making sure that the other person knows you heard what they said. And then you're following it up with validation and empathy. And so you are letting them know that it makes sense that they feel that way and that it must be really overwhelming and must be really isolating and hard to be going through, especially with MS. It's just such a toll on your daily functioning. And so providing validation for that experience without trying to provide a solution. And often that goes really far, just starting with those two. And then the third is ask questions. So what do you actually need from me right now so I can show up in the way that you need? As you're talking about this, I feel like this is so powerful, not only when communicating with others, but even for yourself. Like if you go through that same process, but you're talking to yourself, I feel like that could lead to feeling more at peace or at least more compassionate with yourself. You're absolutely right. And Often, if somebody has a hard time doing that, I suggest that they do it. They pretend that they're talking to their inner child. So we have that inner child inside of us who just is yearning for the same attention and affection that we are as adults, but it's hard for us sometimes to really recognize that as an adult. So if you really sit back and think, okay, when I was five, six, seven years old and I was distressed, my feelings were hurt or I was physically hurt what did I need? And so by really kind of reflecting that experience of this is what I'm going through, validating that it makes sense you're feeling that way. And then really kind of seeking out, okay, what did that little kid need at that time? Because that would probably help me right now as well. I love that. Is that similar to shadow work? It is similar. Inner child and shadow work are have a similar basis, but really that shadow work is about the things that you try to hide, the things that maybe you're ashamed of. And so you work really hard to 
push away it's the mask that you don't let other people see. Whereas the inner child, it's similar because a lot of our shadow, a lot of what we try to hide is due to needs that didn't get met in childhood. So there's most certainly overlaps in it, but it's not exactly the same concept. Gotcha. I like that. I like envisioning that there's this inner child because at least for me, it can be hard to differentiate my emotions from reality or from other situations. So thinking like, okay, that's my inner child's thoughts or that's what they need. And I feel like that allows for not only more communication, but different outlets and different suggestions and ways to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And the three W's is a tool that I suggest that my clients use as well in these types of situations that kind of overlaps with it. And the first W being what's going on. So it's is same thing, checking in. It's so we could, you know, parallel that to the reflection, like what's going on. The second W is where's is it coming from? So what's causing it? I try to share with my partner how I'm feeling and they shut me down. So now I'm feeling a little activated. And then the third W being what do I need? So How can I regulate my nervous system right now? How can I feel safe? And sometimes that is meeting the needs of the inner child. So that's like, I'm going to go take a bubble bath or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to play with my dog. And sometimes though, that's okay. Yes, this is my inner child's cry, but I am an adult now. And so the third W is I need to go communicate like an adult with my partner and tell them what I just tried to share with you didn't go well and my feelings are hurt. So from there... It sounds like the next step would be starting to set boundaries or expectations. And I guess I have a similar question with boundaries of where do you even start? I remember not very long ago, I heard people talking about boundaries and my first thought was, what are they talking about? Like, what is a boundary? And then how do you even start setting them? Is it, is boundaries just saying no to things? So let's bring it down to the basics and go from there. Sure. So a boundary is this invisible limitation that exists in order to keep you safe. A boundary is not to control other people. It's not about just saying no. It's not about punishment. It's not any of those things. It's what you need to do so that you can feel safe and comfortable within a relationship. And so it does tie into expectations. It ties into limitations. And there's three different types of boundaries, just from a very simplistic standpoint. So there are porous boundaries, which are not really boundaries at all. They're more merely suggestions. It's more of the passive aggressive attempts. There are the rigid boundaries, and these are not flexible. They are very harsh. They're punitive, black and white. And then there's a healthy boundary. And a healthy boundary is firm, but flexible when appropriate. And that's really important because our boundaries often kind of ebb and flow and they kind of shift depending on the environment and the person. And even, you know, a boundary that even you and I might have today in our relationship, if we became great friends, you know, a year down the road, our boundaries will look different. And so it's definitely something that changes over time, but at the most basic level, a boundary is this space between you and I, where we can both feel safe. So then how would you start to make a boundary with the goal that maybe it is better communication or at least that you feel heard and seen by others? Sure. So when trying to figure out what type of boundaries to set, it's really helpful to figure out when do I feel most dysregulated? 
That means you have to get in touch with what's going on in your body. The three W's are really helpful for that because the first one being what's going on in my body, you really are stopping to assess what's happening. If anyone were to stop and think about what they feel like when they're feeling anxious or scared or angry, there's always a physiological response that accompanies that. Because what happens when we get activated and we feel anxious or scared is that our brain is literally sending out these biochemicals to keep us safe. Those biochemicals go out throughout the entire body and create physiological responses. So if we were to stop and really assess often, maybe that's a stomach ache, that's a tight chest, that's a lump in our throat, something is going on. So if we have awareness around that, like Okay. Every time I share with my partner and they offer advice back as opposed to just validating my stomach starts hurting. Okay. That's probably a pretty good indicator that I don't like when my partner does that. Okay. So now I'm kind of making sense of that. Okay. So a boundary is needed there. So now how do I go about doing that? And that's the next step. So to really identify where the boundary is needed, you've got to start paying attention to when you feel the most like agitated, uncomfortable, and just yucky in your body. Yeah. I think that's so huge, especially the frequency that you check in with yourself because prior to when I knew what a boundary was, there were so many things that would make me have a stomach ache or like my hair would start thinning, like these very obvious things. But I never thought to myself, okay, this is a situation where I can either create a boundary around or some type of change. So how often do you recommend checking in with yourself? I recommend that you make it a habit. And so even at the beginning, maybe it's intentionally, you set an alarm on your phone for in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening, because even if you just start doing body scans daily, you get an awareness of a baseline. And so somebody who has a medical issue, they're going to have a lot going on in their body. And so that's just even more, we need to be attuned to where is it coming from? So by really assessing a few times a day, like, okay, this is what my body feels like at baseline. This is what it feels like at rest. This is what, you know, then when it's not feeling that way, we become more aware of that. Also, when you start to identify like a specific feeling. So for me, it really is a stomach ache, like a very specific stomach ache though, when I'm feeling triggered. And so because I practice becoming in tune with that, I know immediately what's going on for me. And often what's going on is I'm being triggered to a state of like powerlessness. Maybe I feel like I don't have a voice or I feel trapped or something. And so that all comes with a lot of practice and a lot of self-awareness and intentional self-reflection. And so Doing those body scans for a while, you start to get used to it. And then it starts to become second nature of like, oh, this is what's what's going on. And, you know, the hard part is that a boundary is going to create the discomfort in your body when you go to set it because it is a foreign experience. So a lot of people are like, okay, but it makes me feel just as uncomfortable or just as yucky to tell somebody no. Yes, it does right now, but that's a short-term fleeting discomfort. Whereas saying yes over and over and over when you don't want to is a lifetime discomfort. There is a difference. Yeah, that's so true. And again, I keep thinking like we can set, there's boundaries that we might need to set with other people. And then also boundaries that we might need to set with ourselves. just things that we're doing that make ourselves get that knot in our stomach or just like disappointed in ourselves. So what is that next step? How, how do we set a boundary? 
So it is with communication, communication skills, being prepared. It's so important that when you set a boundary, it comes across that you're doing it in a kind and gentle way. Because going back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of times people are just doing the best they can with what they know. So a lot of times people don't even realize they're violating a boundary. They're not doing it intentionally. It's their own learned behaviors. And so by gently bringing it to their attention, using I statements, I feel, I feel dismissed when I share with you how I'm feeling today. And then I'm just given advice instead of, you know, whatever it is the person needs, feeling validated. I feel insignificant. I feel whatever that I feel word is, but of your experience. And then you, you talk about the behavior that is creating that. When you first set the boundary, it's also important that it isn't done in a passive aggressive way. So it does have to be again, firm, but flexible. So you explain, this is how I'm feeling. In the future, when I come to you and let you know, you know, how I'm feeling that day, or if you ask me how I'm feeling that day, could you please just validate and could you please stop giving me advice in response to it? That, that is a boundary. Now that other person gets to choose. They can say, no, I think I'm going to keep giving you advice because it seems to be really working out for us. You know, they can say whatever it is they want to say, but that is you setting the boundary that this is what's going on for me. And this is what I need to see change. And so I'm not okay with this anymore. I like that. I actually have a similar experience where a boundary with myself, where I was that person who almost always gave advice, even though people weren't asking for it. Mm. I'm a fixer. So I tried to fix everything. So something that I try to do as often as possible when someone's coming to me, like a friend or family member, before I even say anything, I will ask, you know, do you want me to come up with solutions or do you just want me to listen? And I will tell you it it makes me feel so much more calm in my mind if I know I don't have to fix this. Or it gets me excited thinking, okay, they do want solutions. Let me start thinking of some things. But it's nice just for me mentally to be able to separate the two. Otherwise, it just feels so clouded in my mind. Like I'm thinking of so many things at once instead of just listening. Yeah, and that is, I mean, beautiful example. That's exactly it. That question is... Perfect. And I definitely suggest it. I suggest that people start with the reflection and the validation. And then the question you said, you know, following up with that right after, because often, even if people just want to be listened to, or if they want advice, they still want to know you heard them and they want to know that it makes sense why they're feeling that way. So starting with that. And then that third part being, what are you needing from me right now? Like, how can I best show up for you? I like that. I feel like I have so many examples of when I've done both and then just one or the other. And it doesn't go over well if you just, if you're not also (laughs) validating that you heard them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And because that can also feel dismissive sometimes. Like, you know, if I just share something and you're like, all right, Liz, do you want advice or you want me to listen? I'm like, well, geez, could you have at least like told me you heard me before? So yeah, I mean, it, it helps just again, going back to the connection piece and all of that. It's just Let's create human connection and then move forward with problem solving. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's been so many gems just with that connection first leading to better conversations and boundaries within those conversations. I feel like these are things that we can use with literally every person in our life, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a sibling, a teacher, whoever it might be. 
Completely agree. And I would add to the boundary piece because often people will be like, okay, well, I did that and it didn't work. So, you know, the follow-up to that is after you set that initial boundary in a very gentle and sensitive way, if the behavior is repeated, then the boundary has to be set again. And so then that is a little more assertive, maybe a little less fluffy. And that is, you know, we've talked about this and, and reasserting it. And then if it happens again from there, that's probably a whole nother episode. It's important to know that people won't always get it right, right away. And that's either because they don't care to get it right. You know, they're not, they're not working on their own stuff in order to do so. More often than not, that's not the case. It's generally not that people don't care. It's just that they have to learn that as a skill. And so it's something they have to practice as well. You know, so it's really trying to, again, which is why firm, but flexible so that we can also have grace for when people don't get it right every time. Yeah. And so if people continuously don't get it right, at what point do you feel like, okay, this is my communication issue. Like I'm not communicating it well enough. Or do you take it to the next step where maybe it's therapy or like counseling or something like that? Yes. And I would say every situation is so unique because when I'm working with my clients who are dating, I usually say if by the second or third time, they're still actively violating the boundary you've clearly set, then you move on like that. You don't get mixed up in it any further. Now, when you've been married for 20 years and you know they've been used to doing this behavior for 20 years, and then you all of a sudden set a boundary, that's going to look a lot different than somebody that you're dating. And so that is going to be really specific to your experience, but people often will do what they can get away with. So if you're not bringing the boundary back up, they don't know, and they're just going to keep doing it. And so sometimes it is therapy. Sometimes it's sitting down to really seek to understand, you know, I set this boundary with you. It continues to happen. Can you just express back like your experience or your interpretation of my boundary? Because maybe there is a miscommunication here. So can we get on the same page? I like that. Yeah. Especially if you are doubting the way that it's you, like it's the way that you're saying it, asking for their interpretation. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. So I feel like we're going to have lots of people asking how you work with clients and if people can work with you, can you share a little bit about all the different ways you work with your clients? Sure. Absolutely. So I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Arizona. And so I do telehealth and in-person therapy. I have a couple locations here in Arizona that I can do therapy with. And then I'm also a relationship and intimacy coach where I work on a lot of the communication skills, boundaries, conflict resolution, and I can do that anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. And so I have clients in other countries and all around. And so in those situations, I just always give people the disclaimer, coaching and therapy are not the same Coaching is not diagnosing. It's not treating any mental health conditions. It is really goal-focused and learning skills. And so that is what I can do with people outside of Arizona. And then in Arizona, I can do therapy and that's going to look you know, different. But that's how I show up with my clients in both of those ways. My work is pretty much all focused on relationships and intimacy. So again, whether it's communication, it's finding connection, it's intimacy, different types of intimacy, all of that ties into the work that I do. 
Yeah. And I got to say, I love your Instagram posts because you give so many examples of conversation starters or like even for intimacy, you have a list of like 20 different ways that you can be intimate just throughout the day, not only in intimate settings. And it's just really eye-opening when most people just don't take time to think about that type of stuff. So can you share your Instagram handle and other avenues people can find you? Sure. And thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. My hope is really just that people can get the knowledge that they need. I know so many people want to do better. They just don't know how. So that is really the hope of my page. My Instagram is at Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. And then I also have a website, drelizabethfedrick.com. And that's where you can find me for coaching or anything like that. Awesome. And I will put those links in the show notes for anyone listening who wants to go to those later. This has been so helpful. I feel like anyone listening can feel like this was a little therapy session for themselves and now they can take these strategies to their loved ones. So thank you so much for your expertise and for your time today. Thank you, Gretchen. I appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.